0: All right, so we're in the book of Hebrews. We're doing this, this series called I Like Jesus But, and we have a whole list of 10 things uh Things that, for reasons why we don't really want to give our lives to him or follow him or or whatever. So the book of Hebrews uh, is in the Bible, okay? It's about that far in, depending which way you're looking at it, very close to the end. Um, It is a a letter that's written eloquently, one of the most eloquent letters in the New Testament that we have. Um, We don't know who the author is. Uh, There's a lot of guesses about who it might be. But what we do know is that this letter is all about Jesus and encouraging the saints. And you might say, well, I don't know if I'm a saint. I don't have my name somewhere on a street sign somewhere in the city of Montreal. How do I know if I'm a saint or not? A saint is someone who's part of the people of God. A saint is the everyday normal person who's a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be uh, sainted or whatever the process is after you die. In fact, it happens when you're alive, when you come face-to-face with Jesus and meet him. So this is what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, many weeks. I think we're doing... 10 weeks in this, and then we'll have like a 3 week uh, pause uh, we have some some speakers coming from different places that will be will be speaking and uh, it'll be really great so if you want to get ahead of the game like read through the book of Hebrews, maybe not right now, maybe later, that would be great it's a very fast moving book uh, and also during our gatherings we are going to take time at the beginning to read the whole book, so we're going to be in Hebrews 1 and 2, therefore Beth read Hebrews 1 and 2, so we're going to devote a lot of time to reading scripture. And my heart delighted in hearing that being read in its totality. So here we go. Have you ever wondered what life would be like without Jesus? Would anything change? And I'm not saying like you and your relationship with Jesus. I'm saying like if Jesus never spent any time on earth, if we didn't know of a person named Jesus, would anything change at all? Would it matter if Jesus didn't exist? Would it matter if we didn't have religion classes and Christianity classes? Would any of that matter? Or would it just be better if we could all take our beliefs and put them in a melting pot and allow it to be one nice welcoming stew that anyone could eat however they desire and life had whatever meaning you wanted it to have and everyone was a unique snowflake and it was all beautiful in the end? Would it matter? Would it matter if Jesus didn't exist? The question that's before us this morning is, do I need Jesus? So this is a personal thing, right? So do you need Jesus? We don't like being told what we need, right? We don't. We don't like being given a plan by someone that this is what you need, this is how you need to do it. Some of you do maybe, but not me. I like to discover, make my own mistakes. Uh, I like to take longer so that I can figure things out on my own. If you tell me what I need to do, there's something inside me that does not want to do it. Are you like that? Are you like me? No one is. That's great. It's fine. I'm used to being a loner. It's perfect. Um, so me, let me tell you about me. No, uh, but do I need Jesus? Do you need Jesus? Uh, air? Do you need air? Yes. All right. Even if you don't want to believe that you need air, you need air. If you don't want to believe it at such a a rate that you want to put a plastic bag over your head, like, eventually you will die. It will happen. Don't do it here. Don't do it at all. But it will happen. Okay? Because you need air. Water. I don't need water. Right? Our kids... I'm glad that Beth is the only bad parent in the room, right? Like we all nail it, right? Like we're all good. Uh, Thanks, Beth, for confessing all that to us. But I don't have any bad moments. Oh, all the time, right? Blow it all the time. But kids are all sweaty. You hand them water. Like I don't need water. I'm like, if you don't drink water, you will die, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay, I'll drink the water. Leave me alone, right? We need water. You need air, you need water, you need food. Without these things, you do not survive. You are dependent. You are dependent on these things. And so our sermon this morning is, I like Jesus, but do I need him? I like Jesus, but do I need him? And magically, that showed up. Amazing. You're the man, Paul. You're the man. Um, So do I need him? Do you need him? So there are going to be three areas that we're going to be looking at this morning. All right, three areas, and it all come through Hebrews 1 and 2. Um, We're going to look at God's word, okay? Does God's word tell us that we need Jesus? Secondly, salvation, that's a fun word that most of you probably don't use, except when you're going to give used things away to the salvation army. Okay, does salvation say that we need Jesus, And then thirdly, do you say that you need Jesus? So those three things, God's word, salvation, and you. That's where we're going to be going this morning. So first, God's word. Uh, Paul's just going to put the scriptures up there for me. Um, It's going to be amazing, and they're really for you. All right, so Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2. Uh, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And we'll stop there. So the author of Hebrews is going to present Jesus in a very specific way. He doesn't say you can just imagine whoever you want Jesus to be and he'll be that for you. That's not who the author of Hebrews is going to say Jesus is. So God's word is going to say that that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. We'll look at that a little bit more in in a minute. But that he created all things. Created all things. And the text says long ago at many times. Times that God is a God who has spoken over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He's a repetitive God, He keeps calling us to Himself. In many ways, at many times, he would do this, but his message has always been that I love you, I'm pursuing you, I'm coming after you, I'm going to get you, but not in like the bad way, like a bat, I'm going to get you, but like the way that a dad would chase around a a child to scoop them up and show them love, that God is is this type of God, and he's been communicating. This is communication to us from God. God. That God is telling us what He's like and what we're like and why we need Him. So, in many ways, in many times, He's connected with us. And in many ways, the Old Testament, uh, which is before Jesus came to Earth, the Old Testament is made up of many different genres. We have history, we have poetry, we have narrative, we have proverbs, we have songs. We have apocalyptic literature. So many different varieties are there. But they're all God communicating to his people and to us. And so it says, uh, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. A lot of the Old Testament is is from the prophets. People hearing from God and speaking to the people. So this is what prophets did. They, They were like a broker. Okay, we're selling our house, we're buying a house, we have a broker. They communicate, they hear from the person buying a house, they communicate to us. We hope they communicate the truth and they're not playing with us, right? So you want a good broker? Um, but that's what a prophet is. A prophet is like a broker. They're not bringing their own agenda to the table. They're saying, um, I, I don't necessarily want to say this to you, but God wants to say this to you, and so here it is. Or, this is so encouraging, hear this. So the prophets hear from God and bring this. This is how God had been speaking to his people up until the son. The son being Jesus. So long ago, we heard from the prophets, but in these last days, he spoke to us through his son. So it's no longer the employees or contractors, it's the owner's kid. The owner's son shows up and has something to say. So as we're about to hear from him, right? The same way that if you're working for a business and the owner's son shows up, you're like, "Oh, hi, sir." You know, he's like 8 years old and you're still like, "Hey, sir, what can I get for you?" like an ice cream, like, "What do you like, sir?" You, you get strange. But what you're noting is is his position. That somehow this 8-year-old has a position of authority over you in a strange way that no other 8-year-old should. But it's the owner's son. In in like manner, but very different. The owner's son is is also the owner. Same essence. We believe in one God who exists as three, as one. So when I say owner's son, don't think like the father is top dog and the son is is, is lower. Uh, it's not that. There, there's equality within this one God, three persons, one God. And you're like, ah, I don't get that. I've got a headache. Just put that aside for a second, all right? Get, get your headache on later. Uh, we'll just keep rolling together. But the son has come. And he has things to say. And when Jesus was alive, you can read about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The first four books in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is not an account of the the reincarnation of Jesus. Uh, Sometimes people read the Bible and they're like, oh, it's amazing. Uh, Jesus was born in in Matthew. He died. He rose again. He was born in Mark. He died. He rose again. Luke, he was born. It's like... No, it's the same Jesus, same story, uh, different perspectives, uh, different inputs, written to different people, but same Jesus. So if you want to learn more about the person of Jesus and his work and his life, death, resurrection, read one of those first four books or read them all, and they'll speak to you about who Jesus really is. But the question that was moving in Jesus' day was, who, who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Did he come to change the plans of God? So Hebrews is actually written to Jewish Christians. Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah to come. But we believe that the Messiah has already come. Person of Jesus. So people are examining who who is Jesus when Jesus was around. Is he really the one we've been waiting for? Hebrews... Written to Jewish Christians, Jews who became followers of Jesus, he's the Messiah. Now they're still asking the question, are we sure that this is the one? Are we sure this is the one that we've been waiting for? And for all of us in this room, I don't know your story, I don't know where you've come from, but you're all looking for someone to rescue you or something to rescue you. It could be a certain amount of money. It could be the approval of your dad. It could be the security of a job. It could be finally graduating something. It could, like, we have all kinds of things. Spouse, kids. You heard the testimony against having kids this morning, right? They're, no, they're they're wonderful and beautiful. They really are. But, like, we all have this thing that we think is going to save our soul and rescue us. We're all looking for something. Why? Because we do need something. We believe that something is broken in us and in the world and it needs to be fixed. And if it was fixed, then that would be the world that we really want. We all have that story. We all do. This was the question that people had. Who is Jesus? Is he going to change up the plans of God? And so we're going to get into who Jesus is right now. In Hebrews 1, 2 through 4. He has spoken to us by his son Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the awaited king. He's is awaited king. Uh, if, if you were to read um, Lord of the Rings, or if you were to read Chronicles of Narnia, there, there's this constant awaiting of the king, awaiting for the rightful one that we've been waiting for to come and do everything that's going to make all things right. He's finally here. He's finally here, is what the author is saying. The heir of all things is here. And he's the creator. So this should cause, if we're really tracking, sometimes we just get used to hearing and we don't necessarily follow logic. But the king of all things, the creator of all things, is Jesus, who we know walked on this earth. So how much more humbling is it to be the creator of all things, all people, the one in charge and then you take on their form. You become like them. The one who made humans, the one who's holding all things together, becomes a human. And he didn't become a human like a superhero. He wasn't, you know, there's a story about Jesus flipping over the table. It wasn't like the, the Incredible Hulk moment where and like the shirt rips and like flipping. It wasn't that. You wouldn't know that Jesus was anything special. You wouldn't know that he was God walking around in human form. You wouldn't know. But he's the creator. The book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, so before things started eternity past, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh. John 1 is speaking all about Jesus, that Jesus never had a beginning, will never have an ending, and at one point in time, he becomes flesh. He takes on human form. Did you ever see the the show Undercover Boss? Is that still a thing? Probably not. You're giving me no response at all, right? This is a soliloquy in an empty room in my mind, right? Um, Undercover boss uh, is just that. The boss, the CEO of a big company goes undercover and goes to work. And so I remember the only one that I've ever seen was the owner of waste management. Uh, goes and becomes a worker and picks up trash and does all this stuff, and the whole entire episode they were just showing how this guy could not keep up with the minimum wage people that were working this company, and so at the end of the show, you know, the person they're interviewing the the worker and they're like, I don't know if we should keep this guy, like he can't keep up, like I'm I'm recycling, like moving and like look at this look at this guy, can't do it, and so at the end it's like duh, 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 duh. I'm Iron Man of waste management, like look at me, but. But the boss is really humble. And he says, wow, you do an incredible job. I can't do the work that you do. This is not what happens with Jesus. Jesus doesn't come undercover, live as human. He's like, I don't know how you do it. I can't keep up. I'm going to go back. I'm ascending because, I mean, you guys are killing it. You're recycling, amazing, food compost. Like, you're just doing wonderful. Undercover. Undercover boss. Undercover, he comes and is incarnated, takes on flesh, carne, becomes just like us. And he's the only one who could keep up. He's the only one who could do what we couldn't do. We were made to live under the provision and protection of God. You were made for a relationship with God. You you were made for a relationship with the one who made all things. That all things exist for his glory. He holds together all things. You are made for a relationship with him. And yet we settle for so many other things. We give our lives and our devotion and our awe to so many other things other than him. But Jesus never did. Jesus' focus and gaze and attention was never turned away from his dad. He was only doing what was pleasing to the father for you and I, and we'll look at this in just a minute. It says that he was the radiance. This means that he was showing the glory of God, but as we said, not in a Bruce Banner unveiling to be the Hulk type of thing. But he was showing what it looked like to live under the provision, protection, dependence of the Father, and he was manifesting the glory of God to this world. He was showing what it looked like to live in a kingdom that is breaking into this world but hasn't fully come yet. Jesus was bringing something foreign, alien, into this world. But it was actually the way the world was supposed to work. It says that he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. This, this means um, the way that they would press coins, that they would mint coins in the first century, very specific so that each coin looked exactly alike, right? Very specific way. So that the imprint was exactly the same. This is what the author is saying about Jesus. That God the Father, God the Son, exactly the same. Exact same essence, divine nature, perfectly the same. This is who's here. And he upholds the universe. That's that's a pretty big deal. Like imagine putting that in your resume. I I uphold the universe. Okay. Like what do you do in your spare time? Uh, Like... Jesus upholds the universe, makes purification for sin, which we'll look at in depth in just a minute. And then, and then, what else does he do? He sits down. He sits down. Job is done. The work of Jesus has been finished. Everything now is just an application of the finished work that Jesus has already accomplished. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. It's done. And we'll look at what that means this morning. And then they get into this this thing about angels. Seems very strange to me. Uh, verses 5 to 14 talk all about angels. We're not going to get into that uh, this morning because that would, could take up a lot of time. So I just want to mention a few things. Uh, if you fast forward uh, to Acts 7.53, uh, Acts 7.53, uh, Acts is another book in the New Testament. Acts 7.53 gives us insight into the angels and why the author of Hebrews would mention this. It says this, You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it, You who received the law as given by angels but did not keep it. So the law seems to be given by angels. We have the book of Galatians. Galatians 3 uh, verse 19 says this. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So the reason why the author of Hebrews uh, brings up angels... Is is because somehow, though we don't see this except in one circumstance in the Old Testament, the law that was given by God to His people. When, when we think of law, okay, uh, Ten Commandments. You've heard of those, okay? There are actually six hundred thirteen of them, uh, but ten are, are good, okay. So the law uh, was given to humanity, but it wasn't given that if you if you can keep all of these things and you can be my people. The storyline in the Bible is that the people of God were in slavery in Egypt. They were rescued, delivered. The book of Exodus talks about this. And then Exodus 20, we see these Ten Commandments, and then we see the 613 uh, later on. But the law was given to a people who were already free. God didn't say, all right, you're freed from slavery, now you're out here, but you're still slaves unless you can keep this. Right? You are free people. Now live as free people. Live as my free people. But the problem is we never live like free people. We always go back. We go back to to trying to keep the law, trying to perform for God. Whether you believe in God or not, you're always trying to perform for someone's justification. Maybe it's a person in your class. Maybe it's your boss. You just want for that person to give salvation to you, rescue out of whatever hell you think you're in and bring you into whatever heaven you think will satisfy you. We all have that longing. We all do. So the law was given to show us how to live as a free people. It was given to us, to the people of God, through the intermediaries of of the angels. All right? And so when the author of Hebrews is saying, it's not about angels. It's not about angels. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It says... Uh, Which of the angels in verse 5 did God ever say, You are my son? No angel has ever been called the son of God. Jesus stands out above the angels. And again, in verse 6, when he brings the firstborn into the world, meaning the preeminent one, Jesus, when he brings the preeminent one into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. One of the commandments is, You shall not have any other gods, you shall not worship anyone else. Now it's saying, Angels worship this one. What does that tell us about Jesus? That he's God. That he's worthy of actually being worshipped. And so what happened was, when laws weren't kept, when laws weren't kept, sacrifices needed to take place so that people could be forgiven. So the author of Hebrews is talking about angels, and when people are hearing angels, Jewish Christians, what's going off in their mind is, ah, the law. The law that was given to us. Now the author of Hebrews is saying, but Jesus has come to bring a better message. That the law showed you that you couldn't live the type of life that God was demanding of you. But Jesus has come to live a perfect life for you. That you've been sacrificing all the time for the forgiveness of your sins. You've been bringing lambs and goats and pigeons and wheat and all these things. But now a perfect sacrifice has come. See, people were waiting for salvation when Jesus came. So the big message from God's word, the author of Hebrews says, is found in, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, which should be up there. Mark 9, uh, verse 6 and 7. It says this. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. What happens was they all show up on this Mount of Transfiguration, it's called. Uh, Jesus unveils. It, it is that Iron Man moment for a second. He lets them see a piece of his glory. Moses and Elijah show up, and Peter's like, what do we do? <laughs> like, uh, Let me make a tent for each one of you. Like, let's make, let's make these, and we'll all hang out together. And then this is what happens. He didn't know what to do or say for they were terrified and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The author of Hebrews wants to start out. I know we've been tracking through a lot of stuff. Hear it all this. Okay? The author of Hebrews wants for you to hear this. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. His resume says that he's trustworthy. His work says that He's actually done what the law couldn't do for us. The law can't bring us freedom. It can only show us that we're still enslaved to things that we don't want to do. We do the things that we don't want to do. We don't do the things we want to do. Isn't that most of our life? Yeah, I'm going to start that diet tomorrow. I'm going to start getting up early next week. Man, I bought running shoes for next spring's. So it's almost winter, Right? Like, that's, that's most of our life, that we don't do the things we actually want to do. And the things that we don't want to do, we do. We don't want to yell at our kids. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be inhospitable, but we are. And so the law only shows us that. It's a mirror that says, look, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not Jesus, but don't worry. Jesus has come to perfectly fulfill the law for you. No longer our sacrifice is going to be needed because the great sacrifice himself has come. So God's word says we need Jesus. I like Jesus, but do I need him? Well, God's word says that we need him. In fact, God's word says that Jesus is the word. We need him because he created us. You're like, I don't need Jesus. Well, you did. 18 years ago, 29 years ago, 70 years ago, I don't know. You did need him. Because he made you, and he made you very unique. He made you unlike anyone else, he, and he also made you in his image. He made you as a son or daughter to represent him to the world. And he knows that you're broken. He knows that you don't represent him well to the world. And so he did something about that through rescuing him, through rescuing us. And that's what we're going to look at now. So God's word says we need Jesus. Secondly, salvation says that we need Jesus. Salvation means rescue or deliverance. And what do we need to be rescued from? Right now, people are being rescued out of the hurricane, but we're saying, like, we don't have any hurricane. Some of you might need to be rescued out of financial debt, but, I mean, you're all still alive and breathing, and probably it'll be okay. What do I need to be rescued from? That might be your question. What do I need to be rescued from? Well, that's what we're going to look at. So the aim, the aim of this rescue is found in in Hebrews 2, verse 16. It says, For surely it is not angels that Jesus helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So we're going to talk about Abraham throughout the book of of Hebrews. Who is Abraham? Who is Abraham? Uh, Genesis 12, Genesis' first book in the Bible Genesis chapter 12 talks about this promise that was made to the person of Abraham. Abraham was a moon worshiper. Abraham wanted nothing to do with God. Abraham was living uh, far away from God. Abraham had no plans to follow God in his future. And yet God comes to him and hijacks his life. And he makes a significant promise to Abraham that I am going to bless the world through you. I'm going to change you and and bless the world through you. I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the nations. The author of Hebrews says that, that this rescue is aimed at the offspring of Abraham. So it's not your genealogy. It's not your religion. It's not your sexuality. It's not your preference of food. It's not your anything that's going to save you. Nothing can save you. On your own. You have to be an offspring of Abraham. Well, that begs the question, am I an offspring of Abraham? Glad you asked. Uh, Galatians 3 says this. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. There you go. Heirs according to the promise. So it's not about figuring out on Ancestry.com whether you're really connected to Abraham or not. Abraham wasn't Jewish, by the way. Many people will say, well, Abraham was, was a Jew. It's Jewish. Or Abraham was Muslim. No. It was before Israel. Israel, being Jacob, was actually Abraham's grandson. Right? So Abraham's this free agent. And we are offspring of Abraham because of what Jesus has done for us. But we must be in Christ. We must be in Christ to actually be an offspring of Abraham. So how does this happen? How does this happen? In Hebrews 2.17, it says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high priest, faithful high priest, in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We've already looked at Jesus becomes like us, but he does so that he could become our high priest. A prophet hears from God and then speaks. A priest takes on the sin and the needs of the people of God, makes a sacrifice, and offers that to God. Well, Jesus comes, becomes like us, lives a perfect life that we can't live, and actually becomes the sacrifice himself. He's the high priest that doesn't slaughter an animal. He's the high priest who is slaughtered. He takes on all of your rebellion and my rebellion, our neediness, our sin, onto himself on the cross. And he bears the full weight of that. And then through his death and through his resurrection, we receive life. We receive forgiveness of this. It's beautiful. Jesus understands our temptations. He's a high priest that understands what we're going through. Hebrews 2 verse 18 says, Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You and I are tempted all the time. We're tempted to believe that other things will will bring us everything that we're looking for. Jesus was tempted just like you were tempted. Exact same way. Like, I don't know if Jesus struggled with this. Yes. Now, maybe not in that exact same vein, But the root temptation was the same. And that's to be prideful enough that he says, I don't need the Father. I don't need God. That was a root sin. That's at the root of everything that you and I do that's in opposition to God. It's you and I saying, I don't need you. I don't need you for this. I've got this. Thanks, Jesus, for showing up on Sunday and this morning in my time when I was reading the Bible. But I don't need you for my job. Thanks, Jesus. I don't need you for my money management. I don't need you to help raise my kids. I don't need you for all these things. We take Jesus and we compartmentalize him. And, and and somehow we rationalize that that's okay. Jesus upholds everything, right? He's involved in everything, but we just put him over here so that we're free to live the way that we really want to live. And we justify it by saying, yeah, but he doesn't really know about this, but he does, and he was perfect and faithful through all of it for you. Because you and I can't be faithful. In Hebrews two nine, we read this. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death for everyone. He tasted death. Death so that you and I don't have to taste death. In chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, hear this, through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus comes down, destroys the slave owner, and frees the captives. Jesus comes and destroys the enemy, Satan, and frees the people of God. And the founder of our rescue, the founder of salvation, has made you and I brothers and sisters with him. Hebrews 2, 10 and 11 says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to be called, to call them brothers, brothers and sisters. There's familial language. Jesus purchases and buys back his brothers and sisters. And he's not embarrassed by you. You might say, ah, if Jesus really knew what was going on in my life, he would want nothing to do with me. No, that's why he came. Because he does want something to do with you. He does want to change you. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not ashamed of you. Jesus will never, if you hear words of shame, it's not Jesus. Jesus does not take your face and push it into the mess that you've made. Jesus lifts up your head and, and cleans you off. He says, I love you. Remember, I, I made you my brother. I made you my sister. You belong to, to the family of God. Now you don't have to go after these things anymore. This is the rescue that Jesus brings for us. Your status this morning, if you're in Christ, if you're an offspring of Abraham, your status is family of God, beloved family of God. You get to share in his winnings. You get to share in his inheritance. Everything that is Christ, Paul says in the New Testament, everything that is Christ is ours. That's unreal, except it is real. Everything is ours. All at our disposal. So that the mission of God can keep moving forward in this world. And Jesus is in control of everything crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We get to see Jesus. We get to see him with new eyes. We get to see him with eyes of faith, that you're looking for someone to rescue you, and he's the only one who can truly do it. No other pursuit that you're making can rescue you. You You have no hope in parenting without the good news of Jesus saying that Your identity is not in being a good parent or a bad parent. Your identity is that you're a beloved child of God and I'm giving you the power to turn away. Beth used the word repent earlier, which means to turn from what you're doing, turn back to Jesus. You can turn from yelling, turn to Jesus and be patient. It's like that. This is a type of work that God loves to do. It's not, do I need him for Sundays? It's, I need him all the time because there's no other way for me to be changed. I walk through Indigo uh, all the time, especially through the self-help section. Be- I don't want to buy books in there. I just want to see what people are looking for help on. And the amount of books that people try and help you with, it's, it's incredible, and some of them might work wonderfully. But true help can't come from yourself. You don't have the resources in you. My undergrad degree was in social work. I was taught to help people self-empower but even as social workers around the table, we're like, well, what if the person doesn't have the power? You're like, yeah, I know someone doesn't have the power. And like, we'd laugh and joke about that person that we counseled. We didn't even believe what we were talking about. We didn't believe that people had self-empowerment because we know deep down it doesn't exist. You need the power of the one that we've been looking at to come in and radically transform you and rescue you. You're offered this adoption. And some of us have received it. Some of us are now truly children of God, but I have a whole list of questions. Why do we live like orphans? You have this dad who wants to give you everything that you need for his mission to move forward and for you to enjoy him. And yet we keep trying to live like orphans. We keep looking for our ultimate identity, enjoyment, Fulfillment from others, from possessions, from positions. We live like orphans. We're reminded Sunday morning, I'm I'm adopted, I'm a child of God. We read in the morning maybe, but then we go out and we live like orphans and we're scrounging, please, please, we we look like beggars. That we're looking for something from someone to make us feel something. Why do we live as if we need to rescue ourselves when, when rescue has been offered to us? What do you justify your existence with? Usually it's how you're needed. You talk to parents who are getting close to their kids leaving the house. They say, I don't know. And like, I think party. But I mean, for many people, it's like, I I don't know who I am after that. It's like you, you were a person before you had kids. You'll be a person after they leave. What do you justify your existence with? What is it that if we took away, it would absolutely destroy you? That's probably the thing that you're justifying your existence by. The Bible might call that an idol. Some false god that you worship. That you feel like you need that thing more than you need Jesus. But whatever you're looking for from that thing can actually only be given by Jesus. Why do you sit in shame? Some of you right now have heard all this and you're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Why do you do that? There's someone who's done it perfectly for you who wants to lift your head. That's just, look at me. Look at what I've done in your place. You don't need to sit in shame. What temptations are eating you alive? Why don't you allow for Jesus, the one who was tempted, yet who overcame all those, to enter in and walk with you through those things? Why do you try and do it on your own? Ultimately, you and I want to be objects of worship. We want for other people, even ourselves, people to look in the mirror and at us and be like, wow, amazing, so incredible. I don't know how you did it. That's not why we were made. We were made to be dependent on our creator and our rescuer. Why do you so often live like a slave? Why do you live like a slave to things that can't give you freedom? Why do we do this? Why do you still try and please God so he'll accept you? If you're in Christ, you're already accepted. You're approved. God says, you are my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. Not based on what you do, but what Jesus has done for you. Do do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you'll walk into the world much different than if you don't. You'll always be grabbing for more. When Jesus says you're fully approved. You belong to me. And why don't we acknowledge that we're needy? Why aren't we willing to say, I, I'm, I'm needy. I do need. I like Jesus, and I'm in need. I like Jesus, and you know what? I'm, I'm finding out that maybe I actually do need him. Not just for a Sunday morning or for an experience, but in my everyday life. Why can't we admit that we're needy? You see, God has been working toward rescuing you for all of eternity. You think that you've been working on something for a long time, Uh, you don't have an, an up on God on this. For all of eternity past, which means there's no beginning. God's been working toward today. Towards today. To rescue you. To bring you into his family. To show you that he is so much better than anything else that you've been pursuing. You, you don't feel loved by people. You don't feel acknowledged or admired. God has been pursuing you. God set up Theater 11 this morning for you. God wrote Hebrews for you. So that you could be rescued. God has been making a plan to overwhelm us with his love again today. Those of us who've been following Jesus, if what's going on in your heart is like, yeah, yeah, I've heard all this before, there's something broken. There's something wrong. If this doesn't awaken our affections, there's something missing. There's a connect piece that's just not there. Because this message of love should overwhelm us. We should hear, oh Jesus loves you. He came and died for you. And that should, should overwhelm our hearts. I can't believe that. I can't believe that he would do that. That's amazing. But God has been doing this. I say one more thing. Hebrews 2, verse 1 says this. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Today, there's rescue available. If if you heard, Jesus' life, death, resurrection was for you today, turn to him. Say, Jesus, I need you now. You'll be brought into the family of God. That would be amazing. Pay close attention to this. And pay close attention to this because those of you who already belong to the family of God, we don't move beyond this. There's not something better. The rescued, what this passage says, the rescued can drift. That, that word drift, it means that a ring falls off a finger. Just slip off. It's like we're on a boat, go to sleep, we're near shore. We think, hey, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be near shore. We wake up and you're in this crazy storm, you can't see land because you forgot to put the anchor down when you went to sleep. That your boat just drifts because you haven't been focusing on the one who is anchoring you. And it's not a hard turn. I meet very few people who make a hard turn away from Jesus. It's a series of slowly forgetting who he is. Slowly finding our identity in other things. But rescue is available again this morning. You are brought back. And this, our heart needs this good news all the time. So God's word says that you need Jesus. Salvation says you need Jesus. And what about you? Do you need him? Do you need him? Are you willing to, to say, I'm needy? Until you're, until you're needy, you're, you're not going to need him. You're going to think up another plan on your own. If you see Jesus as another um, degree to put on the wall, another God to put on your mantle, you don't really need him. It's not until you're willing to say, I am, I am needy, I am broken, there's no way I can do this on my own, that you're going to need him for rescue and in your every day. Maturity, maturity, is is actually becoming more dependent and more needy and maybe it's not becoming more dependent more needy it's us realizing how dependent we actually are and how needy we are and we have one who can provide for all of our needs we have one who can provide for all the needs of the city and he wants to do that through his people so we'll respond this morning and our response is going to be simple I want to call us to quit living as if we don't need Jesus. Very rarely are you told to quit things, right? I want us to respond with this, that we, we're going to quit living as if we didn't need Jesus. We're going to celebrate by singing and declaring that I need you. I need you. I am needy. I need you. We're, we're going to celebrate by taking uh, what we call communion. There's bread and juice and, and wine there, and it's a symbol Of Jesus' body being broken, the bread. His blood being shed for you as that final sacrifice. And so we take a symbol of his body and we dip it into his blood and we take in remembrance of him. And it's a declaration of, I am needy. I am needy. And then we're going to give. God calls his people to be generous. Not the people who make a lot of money. All the people who are God's. To be givers because everything you own is his. And so we give. Because God is the great giver. And then we pray. If you need to be prayed over today, if you need to meet Jesus today, there'll be some people standing in that corner, in that corner. You just go and talk to one of them. And uh, so city group leaders or elders, uh, we could have uh, two or three of you uh, be there. Uh, if you need prayer for anything, uh, they'd love to do that. So I, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna We're gonna respond. We're gonna quit. Jesus, I thank you that you are powerful. Thank you that you have made us to need you. And thank you that you are able to provide. So, many, so much advertising lies to us about the provision that, that it will bring and the identity that it will give to us, but not you. You promised us that you would come for us when we rebelled against you. You promised us that you would, that you would meet us and that you would rescue us. You promised us that you were going to make all things new, and you're in the process of doing that. You promised us that if we sought your kingdom first, all things would be added unto us, and you keep giving everything we need. You are you are the great and generous dad that we all long for. And I want to pray for those who, who don't yet know you this morning, they would turn to you, that they would declare their neediness and say, I need to be forgiven. I need to be brought into the family. I, I like Jesus, but now I love him and I need him. And that that story would be true. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus, I pray that, that just as Beth shared this morning about her need in the midst of that, that we would be needy in our dealings with others and finances and our vocation and our neighbors, that we would be needy for you to continuously break into our stubborn hearts that want to return to the place where we were before, but you are changing them to be just like Jesus. Would you cause our hearts to explode with great affections for you this morning? Would you cause our voices to declare the majesty and greatness of our King who was crucified and buried for us, but yet who is alive forevermore? And Jesus, would you bring revival to this city? you cause for millions of people to come to know you? Would you allow for the French Quebecois to be the most rich people in the whole world and that your gospel would would spread out of here? So Holy Spirit, we need you to do this work because we can't do it on our own. We are needy. So we quit. We quit doing life on our own. We want to quit being a church that that goes through the motions. Uh, We wanna quit thinking that Sunday morning is the church, uh, we are the church, full of your spirit sent all throughout this week. We love you and we need you for everything, amen.